0: Hi, this is Jeff Spicer. I am here in Las Vegas at IBM Interconnect. It's the last day of Interconnect. This has been a really amazing conference. So, as you know, this is our cloud computing and infrastructure conference. we had some big announcements this week. Um, over 15,000 people have attended. We've had thousands of sessions. A couple of big announcements have come out of the week. And sitting with me today is Des Blanchfield. And Des is a consultant with your own company in Australia. He has over 25 years experience working with many different industries and many technologies. You've got experience in data, big data, infrastructure, cloud computing, you name it. I think there isn't a technology that you haven't touched. That I just mean very quickly, of course. Yeah, that, <laughs> yeah you, you started when you were in junior high school, right? Did, and, yeah. and actually we'll get back to that because okay. you did start in junior high school, which I, 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 I think is really fascinating. But I wanted to start by asking you about what happened before the conference even began. Mm. So IBM hosted the Open Tech Summit this year uh, before InterConnect started. And um, as you know, IBM has been uh, really embracing the open source community over the past few years. In fact, before that. Um, And IBM sees real value in open source and being part of that community, fostering conversations and relationships with that community. So give give me your thoughts on on how it was to start a vendor conference with the Open Tech Summit.
1: I think the one of the biggest things I've noticed in this entire recent pivot of the reinvention of IBM is this whole adoption of the communities around open source. And uh, day zero, the Sunday, the afternoon of the um, prior to the event, the, the Open Tech Summit. I think it was a really good blend of uh, the meetup slash birds of feather that we would see in the normal sort of hackers and open source coders and code committers and designers, and the more proprietary world that IBM sort of historically came from, but now it's, it's sort of pivoted around. We had this real, I mean, it was a great turnout, a fantastic venue, amazing collection of speakers, I mean, um, proprietary code, open source code, uh, all sorts of walks of life. Uh, we even had IBMers throw T-shirts at us. Um, but it was a really great start to the, the overall conference because it, it kind of broke the ice for the open sources. It gave IBM's team a chance to kind of just get in and mingle and get to know each other. Uh, it, was, it was a nice mix of social and business. And uh, we actually got to meet a whole bunch of people we'd never met in person because we'd only known them through Twitter or other things as well. So I think it was a really good uh, toe dip uh, from a very large company in, to get into this open source community and, these, and then engage with that community and make it a very relaxed journey to actually get to day one, day two, day three, around all of the core messages. Yeah. Good. I loved it. I, um, I hope to come back again.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get hit in the head by a T-shirt. But, you know, <laughs> I missed it by that much. <laughs> there's always a future time. <laughs> uh, so one of the themes of the conference this year has been, interestingly, about data itself. Yes. And I say that's interesting because uh, this is a cloud and infrastructure conference. That's largely what it's about. Uh, but Arvind Krishna, our SVP of Hybrid Cloud, David Kenny, our SVP for Public Cloud in Watson, uh, they both addressed the, the idea that data should be the center of your cloud. That data brings with it differentiated advantage for your business. Absolutely. So, yeah. so when you're putting, th- when you're thinking about infrastructure, you also need to be thinking about data and how you make it widely available. And you've been working with data and big data and inf- infrastructure for years um, as a consultant. When you sit down and talk with companies about the value of data. Uh, first, do you have to convince them uh, of that value? And then second, what do you tell them? How, how do you help them get that, that differentiated benefit from their data?
1: So I think there are two key things that I would, I would take out of that that's okay. Um, the primary thing, and, and, and it's being uh, strengthened day after day through this whole event, that data now is the center of our universe. And, and I coined the phrase a while back. I don't, I don't pretend that I invented it, but I, I've, I've been using this phrase that data has gravity um, in the same way that dust particles in the universe accreted and you know, planets formed and then all of a sudden there was gravity. Um, when you get enough data together, it does have gravity. You know, you've got a large enough community base. If you've got a large enough data set, that becomes a thing in its own sense and there's a lot of value in that so I think companies have always had data they've always had these assets they have just never truly understood what was in them and so it might be a HR or finance or engineering or design uh, silo but often they haven't shared that data or they haven't aggregated or put it into a data lake and I think if anything in the last few days people are going to leave the, the 15 to 20,000 people here they're going to leave with one very clear understanding and that is that um, more than ever we now know, thanks to these great sessions you've been running, that data is the center of our universe, and we need to start thinking about data in a very different way. It's, a, it's, it's kind of like the new oil. It's a really critical asset. We've often got too much of it. We hoard some of it. So we need to figure out how do we go from the, the traditional database environments like the DB2s of the world, where we've been you know, familiar with for decades. Um, you know, databases have been around for a long time. To what we're doing now in data lakes. Um, and if they're done wrong, they become a data swamp, which is unfortunate. And uh, you might find alligators in them. Um, but the transition from the, the traditional database environment, which is not going to go anywhere, by the way, in my view. You know, I think a lot of people think that big data and analytics are going to kill the database. That is definitely not the case. And if we look at all the big banks, all the big airlines, they're all running big databases and invariably on IBM mainframes, curiously. Um, but there's a there's a path where data goes from one very tightly structured format, in a sense, to slightly less structured in the data lake format, and then many times into the cloud. And uh, the second part of that then sort of flows on naturally where... When we start putting data in, into some of the environments you provide, like the Watson data platform, and particularly in, in, when we start uh, consuming services like the Watson machine um, learning service uh, and the cognitive tools, when we can take our data sets and, and put them into a data lake format and we can trust them in your secure uh, cloud, we can then use your governance tools you've, you've made available to allow that data to burst into these new environments so I don't have to move all the data, just the bits I need. and. One of the biggest challenges is just getting that in plain English, whether it's at the boardroom at the top end or getting it down to the techies and going toe-to-toe. They often have very siloed views of what they thought data was. Maybe it's columns and fields and rows and tables and and multiple databases. But often now, when we think about data, it's social. It's open data sources from government. It's um, IoT sensor information, you know if I'm thinking about how to get an ambulance from one side of the city to the other at a particular time of day, I want to take everything. I want to know traffic. I want to know social. I want to know weather. If I know that someone's tweeted there's an accident on a road, I should be a pull that data and feed it back to the ambulance drivers and tell them to avoid that accident, or the system should tell me. So when I talk to this topic around whether it's federal governments, large enterprise, medium enterprise, startups, I, I try to get them to understand that they actually have this asset that they have probably overlooked for too long, and the takeaway from, from this week in particular um, around data has helped clarify that. I've, I've grabbed a whole bunch of vocab and language from this week that I'm gonna reuse about the value of data, getting insights in data, the tools we need to, to, to deliver those insights and extract those insights. Uh, it's been a very valuable week from that sense in many ways and others, but that one in particular.
0: Yeah, there's been a lot going on this week. It, you mentioned um, a couple of technologies, uh, Watson Data Platform yeah. and uh, a couple of others that have uh, a, a sort of cognitive technology built in, uh, in some cases machine learning, mm. in some cases more advanced uh, cognitive capabilities. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about, uh, you also mentioned um, uh, the accessibility of data and insights. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that two are, are starting to become linked in that, um, to manage these big volumes of data that you're talking about and to, to really um, begin to draw insights out mm-hmm. of those and then to make those insights available and accessible, uh, you need some sort of a system that really understands how to help you manage that data, how to help Absolutely. you draw insights yeah. out of that. And I think that's where the machine learning, uh, in terms of um, algorithm selection mm-hmm. through CADS, yep. the Cognitive Assistant, uh, for data that, that we announced a, a couple of uh, months ago, and then Watson Data Platform, which we announced um, last fall, that these are technologies now that begin to, not just democratize data, but democratize insights, mm. and begin to assist with the the entire um, data process. And I'm, I'm wondering, again, uh, about uh, how you see this, and, and how you're presenting these capabilities to your customers um, in, in um, bringing them insights faster uh, and in managing yeah. all of these data sets
1: in in much more feasible ways. So I think there's a, I had a conversation yesterday with somebody on the IBM team whose name escapes me, but something came out of this conversation where we agreed that a lot of the technologies we're talking about, um, if you're a practitioner, if you're either in the data wrangling business or the data analysis business, or if you're doing a high-end statistics, or if you're a developer, one of the big shifts we've seen with what you've been announcing over the last couple of years, particularly this week, is that we now have access to the tools to do things we've been dreaming of for years, for decades. To be able to take a data set and do sentiment analysis on it was a non trivial exercise previously. Now it's just a surface we can consume, right? And I don't have to move all the data there. I only have to make some of the data available, and I can talk to it at an API level. And as, as I mentioned before, you know, one of the projects we saw where a, a a couple of young fellows had built a tool for financial services. And they showed me some of the tools they'd use and the Watson Data Platform to move stuff, the stuff, their data set into their, to, to securely work with and collaborate. They'd use the um, Watson Machine Learning Engine to then start to derive some insights from that data set. Uh, it turned out when I asked them what their backgrounds were and what their pedigrees were, neither were technical and neither were programmers. And they'd only really taught themselves enough Python to, to talk to the APIs and then feed it back into Watson. And you mentioned cans. I mean, the, the Cognitive Assistance um, allowed them, and, and I know I'm going to be making use of as well, allowed them to take structured, and unstructured data and actually ask the tool to describe it back to them. So in other words, I don't really know what I'm looking at, but you've got all these predetermined models. You know what a schema may look like. You know a data type. You know the difference between, say, a tweet and an email. You know the difference between a firewall log and a PDF file. And it was interesting because they encapsulated most of what you were just talking about there in a, an actual live demo on the floor. So I probably spent about an hour and a half with them at one point and annoyed the hell out of them. Uh, but I think in a day-to-day point of view, as a practitioner, um, what I'm looking forward to now is, is going home back to Sydney Australia and getting access to some of the tools you've announced this week. And, and some of the things I've been doing before that took a long time because I had to codify it myself, I can actually now just consume it as a service. If I want to apply machine learning to something, if I want to find some form of grouping and do regressional analysis on a data set and find the outliers and, and, and figure out why they're outliers. I don't have to codify that now. Mm-hmm. I can just consume it. So in fact at World of Watson last year I, I sort of threw this term together, um, where I said, I think what you've done more than anything in my view is you've kind of taken the data science challenge and the cognitive computing challenge and machine learning. And you've kind of made it as simple as webmail. Mm-hmm. And and uh, it might seem a little uh, disingenuous in a way or simplifying, but you know when we thought about what happened with the shift from dedicated mail servers and routers and switches and servers and, and so forth and storage, to get a mail account. Now you just go and sign up on a web page. Yeah. And I think you know with the the data science experience DSX, with some of the the, the cloud tools, BlueMix, etc. That stuff's just there. And you know I think for, correct me if I'm wrong, it's like 25 bucks a month or something. I can sign up and try it out. And, or I think you even give a 30 day trial. I think there's a significant shift in in, in accessibility and the experience, um, and it's also lowered the barrier of entry. You know, once upon a time, it was really difficult to build these ecosystems to get to the point where you could use uh, notebooks and Python and, and, and Studio and securely host data. Well, that's no longer the case. You've removed all of those barriers. So now the challenge for us is, have we got the right data or is it in the right state, and what do we actually want to do with it? So you kind of get back to that, that piece that Cognitive now does for us where we can ask plain English questions or NLP, Natural Language Processing, of the data set. We can actually ask ourselves that question. What what is the objective we're looking for? And then how do we ask the platform to do it for us? And
0: and some of the tools themselves too, which might have been uh, difficult to download and use, difficult to to set up. Uh, We're trying to stream, IBM is trying to streamline
1: that process now with uh, the new download and go capabilities. love download and go. Um, I think the download and go thing, uh, again, it's gotten rid of all that challenge of actually getting access to the tools in the ecosystem. Uh, you know, The idea of spending eight months in a government agency to spin up a virtual machine and install Linux and get Python installed and then get Studio or whatever it might be and get the um, Jupyter notebooks going and then and only then can you get to the point where you go, well, can I actually get a username and a password and then can I copy my files in? Too hard. It's just too hard, right? And eventually, you just become exhausted. You don't want to do it anymore. and You're looking for other options. Yeah. Um, The download and go things is is a significant game changer for all of those obvious reasons. Now I can click and point. I think it took less than three minutes in a live demo yesterday to see the the click download, copy, click install, done, 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 finished. And he opened it up and started playing with it. And I realized that's not a canned demo. He just did that live. Uh, So I can do the same thing when I get home. I can log in, I can click and download and go when I get access to the the preview view. But when it's released in GA, it'll be a three minute click and go and I've got this whole ecosystem. Uh, and when you roll out through all the other things you're, you're delivering in, in the, what is currently the cloud suite that provides me the ability to play with data and, and all those other tools like machine learning and cognitive, huge game-changer, because now I can do it on-prem, and I can play with it, I can learn with it, I can get experience, and when I've got experience, I can then start to think about how I deployed it at larger scale, and I can do it scale in the cloud, and I can consume this cloud at scale and only for what I use.
0: One final question, I just wanted to take a step back and we've been talking uh, about technologies and new capabilities and, and what those bring to the business. Um, but I wanted to ask about uh, industries themselves and who's mm-hmm. being impacted by this By this first. Um, and by this, I mean uh, the, the shift to the cloud, some of the cognitive technologies, and then um, beginning to unlock what's, what's mm-hmm. in your data. You work across a wide variety of of industries, right? You work in the public sector and in government, you work in telecommunications, Mm -hmm. Uh, you work in education, travel and transportation, retail. Is there an industry or a set of industries which lead the pack in terms of um, applying some of these new technologies, um, understanding that there is value in their data and that will be um, a a differentiator for them in their business, and then applying these new capabilities, be they cognitive, be they machine learning, Mm. um, or even some of the capabilities that that you were talking about in terms of just simply um, managing large volumes of data uh, inside your firewall, and then merging that yeah. with uh, external data to get insights that you might not otherwise get. Are there, are there industries that you think are really leading the pack? Do you know,
1: surprisingly, there's three that I did not expect. I think across the board, all organizations will at some point come up with this realization that they can disrupt themselves internally. But there are three that really surprised me. Federal government, number one. I've recently been part of a project where we we took PDF documents they were printed out and signed and sealed and put back in for a particular purpose, and there are millions of these things annually. Uh, and then people view it on the screen and then type it into a into a, a system. I mean, it's just the craziest thing I've ever seen, but that's just the way they had it. To so take those PDFs and tag particular sections and then take it from semi unstructured to a, a very structured format and then train an algorithm on that to run through a machine learning platform and then put back into a structured RDBMS. Um, I did not expect government to adopt that as quickly as they did, but there are a number of people who came into these organizations that described very clearly the benefits and they were open-minded to it. I thought they would be as closed minded as you could imagine. I've always had this view that government didn't like change, change was risk, risk equals, you know, cost or whatever it might be. Um, and yet, federal government, and particularly in Australia, but I know it's a global thing, Southeast Asia, China, Singapore, Malaysia, I've seen it all over the place, but Australia in particular in my backyard, Federal has adopted some of these things we're talking about so quickly that it was almost breathtaking for me. I've had people ask me to help them with rewriting cloud strategies across federal government agencies, writing policies for them to catch up with what they've already done, figure out how to develop a, a governance framework to, to catch the, the, the entire thing in case something falls through, and then run brown bag sessions, demos, proof of concepts to the point where, you know, they're putting machine learning against PDF documents by the millions. Did not expect that. Banking, I probably expected, but not at the pace I've seen. Um, I think Australian banks have been leaders for a long time, and they certainly make the most money out of many of the banks in the world for some reason. But banking and finance, particularly wealth management, took up the whole big data and cloud and analytics thing across the business. Uh, I can't name any, but some of the probably the top three banks in Australia have all had some uh, programs working over the last three to five years, where they've gone from uh, traditional data processing to big data and streaming analytics, to now they're thinking about machine learning, they're thinking about cognitive, and they're, they're running multiple streams. They're doing that fail and fail fast. And I know for a fact that you're already working with most of them, and the ones you're not working with are sitting up and paying attention and figuring out why they aren't working with you. So I think that's that's a really neat change. The other one that I did not expect, the third one, was logistics and transport. And I know you're doing a really cool project with tracking containers on, on ships and so forth, uh, logistics and transport got the value of the data they had, they just didn't know how to use it. And so the whole track and trace, kind of the, the Uberfication of logistics and transport, when you think what Uber did, and they built a platform to meet people around with taxis, I have a view that that was just a distraction. They want to take over the logistics market. But there are a number of very big operators in Southeast Asia that I've worked with who understood the, the, the value proposition of tracking everything that was going through the business and collecting data around it and doing analysis of that data and then making that data available to partners and even making some of the data available for research so that uni students could look and say, well, if I take this year's with of shipping with an anonymized data set or a tokenized data set in some way, I can come back and show you how to improve something in your business. Those three areas, probably the, the last three I would have expected, mm-hmm. and yet they're the ones disrupting themselves as fast as they can afford to.
0: Interesting, yeah, you're right. I would not have expected government. I would have mm. expected something that's consumer facing, yep. uh, something um, something retail, something. I was gonna say
1: the same, retail yeah, is like exactly. the this one, right? But, yeah. Yeah. It was a big surprise. And I'm very excited because I'm a taxpayer. Yeah, (laughs) And and if I can get them to save any money, that's my money they're saving. Hopefully, can go to my children's education.
0: Yeah. Well, Des, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Uh, Des Blanchfield
1: um, of Gara Guru in Australia. Um, Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me here. It's been a real privilege. And uh, I've met some great people. I've I've loved every keynote session. And uh, Mm -hmm. can't wait to do it again soon. Great. Thanks, Des. Thank you.